Well, good morning, everybody. If we've not met before, my name is Chris. I'm the senior minister here at Andover Baptist Church, and I'm really excited to be speaking in the second part of our famous Last Words series today. And I'm really excited that our kids and our young people are here with us as well, uh, in the room and online with us uh, today. If you're in the room with us, if you're on site with us, kids and young people, then there are big story packs coming round your way right now for you to do with your mums or your dads or the people who brought you uh, this morning. If you're online with us today, I want to say it's great to have you with us as well today. Great to see you joining in on the live chat. And I also want to say it's great to have Lynn with us. Lynn is a brilliant artist, part of our church community, and uh, you may well get to pick this up online, uh, but you're certainly picking this up if you're on site with us today, that Lynn is painting as part of our service today, as part of our worship together today. And Lynn is painting uh, along the lines of what I'm going to be talking about today. So I hope you'll be able to see that as we go through our service today. You'll be able to see it uh, at the end if you're uh, here with us. And uh, Lynn is also, if you're on site with us, out in the lobby at the end of the service today. And we'd love to have a chat with you. Okay, so I wonder what your famous last words would be. I I wonder if you've ever said any stupid last words. I don't know whether these are true or not, but I googled this week's stupid last words, and here are some of the things that I came across. Don't know whether these are true or not, but I thought these were funny. Uh, I've never tried this with a chainsaw before, but what could possibly go wrong? Or how about this one? Hey, I know that I'm not a qualified electrician, but how hard can it be? Or here's some words that fortunately weren't last words for me, but certainly were words that caused me a lot of pain. Hey, let's go jump off that Olympic-sized diving board. That'll be fun. Well, turns out it's not so much fun, particularly if you forget to point your toes, because the soles of your feet are the first things that hit the water. And it turns out when you jump from a very high height off an Olympic-sized diving board, it really hurts. Water is actually quite solid. And I couldn't walk for ages after I jumped off that diving board and hit the water without pointing my toes. Speaking of pain, I wonder what goes through your mind when you're in pain. What goes through your mind when you're in pain? Think about this. Maybe kids think about this. If if you've tripped over in the school playground, or worse, been tripped over in the school playground, and you fall over and you graze your elbows or your knees, what are some of the things that go through your mind when that happens? Or maybe if you're a bit older, what happens when you hit your thumb with a hammer? What goes through your mind? What goes through your mind when maybe you do something silly and it ends up in pain? What goes through your mind when you bash your elbow on the doorframe? Some of you are looking at one another right now and honestly confessing to each other, you couldn't say what goes through your mind. At least not when you're in church, right? What goes through your mind when you come down the stairs in the morning only to stand on that bit of Lego that a kid has left on the floor. What goes through your mind in that sort of pain? What goes through your mind when you're exercising and the lactic acid is built up in your legs or your arms or whatever it is, and you're in real pain? What goes through your mind? You know, one of the things, and if you've been around ABC for a while, you know, because I've told stories about this before, but one of the things my wife Ruth and I love doing is we love climbing mountains in the Lake District these days. And we love going up them. And I've got to be honest with you, we, we really enjoy it. But usually part way up, particularly a, a reasonably high mountain, my legs start screaming in pain. And these are the sorts of things that go through my mind when that is happening. 
this is supposed to be a holiday. Why am I doing this? Or something like this. There better be a really good view at the top of this one, just saying. You know, when we're walking like that, we, we have different styles. Ruth and I, we have different styles of walking. So I tend to be the walk relatively quickly, but aren't able to go very far before I need a stop style of walking. Ruth is that I'm just going to keep plodding up here, maybe at a slightly slower pace, but I am not stopping until I get to the top style of walking. And what that usually means is that she's waiting for me usually at the top. And one of the things that happens when I'm plodding up and I'm in pain and I'm trying to catch up with her is I'm thinking, I should have got fitter before I came. That's what goes through my mind. And how much I really, really hate the people who fly past you when you're on a climb like that. Last year, we went on a climb up a mountain in the Lake District called Red Screes. And we decided to do it on a Saturday or Sunday. I can't remember. It was at the weekend anyway. And it turns out there was a fell race that day. And I don't know whether you've ever been in the mountains or in the, the, the Yorkshire or wherever it may be, when there's a fell race going on, as I'm plodding my way, having to stop fairly frequently, going up this quite steep path up Red Screes, people are running past me. They are running. And that's only the beginning of their fell race, it turns out. Well, I wouldn't like to say what goes through my mind about people who can do that when I'm in pain. You know, what happens to us, and I think this is true for most of us, what happens to us when we're in pain is our world tends to shrink. Our world tends to shrink to us. You know this, if, if you've fallen over in the playground and you've scraped an elbow on a knee or, and it's really hurting and maybe you're crying out of the pain, you're not spending too much time thinking about other people in that moment. Your world shrinks to you. And that's true when we're in pain through exercising or ill health or whatever it might be. For most of us, what happens in those moments is that our worlds tend to shrink down to us and our immediate needs. We don't often think about other people. When we're in pain, we become a lot more concerned with ourselves than we do with others. Our world shrinks. And for me, you know, this is one of the things, one of the many things that is so remarkable about Jesus. When he is in his moment of greatest pain, far from shrinking and focusing exclusively on himself, he focuses on other people. At his moment of greatest pain, enduring the worst possible pain imaginable, Jesus' world doesn't shrink to being all about him. In fact, the opposite is true. Jesus' world and his vision expands. In the middle of his most traumatic experience, his concern for other people grows. And I think that's astonishing. And in his moment of greatest pain, Jesus reveals our greatest need. And Jesus finds words of forgiveness. Now, you may say, I'm not sure about all of this. Maybe you're new to church, or you're new to us, or you're new to online, and you're exploring faith. You're not really sure what you believe. You wouldn't necessarily call yourself a, a Christian. Number one, that's great, and we love that you're with us. And we want to be a church where people like you are so, so welcome and where we can help you explore those big questions of life and of faith. But for those of us who are Christians, Jesus is really, really important. 
And there are loads of reasons for that. But one of the reasons why Jesus is so important to us is because we find this remarkable. That Jesus would do something so full of pain and anguish and hurt on our behalf. And I want to try and explain this morning why Jesus was doing that. And if you are a Christian, if you'd say, well, look, I am a Jesus follower. I am a Christian. Then I really hope today will just blow your minds again with the wonder of what Jesus was doing. That amazing thing that in his greatest agony, we were, he, we were his greatest thought, which is extraordinary. So I'm going to read from uh, Luke's account of the life of Jesus. And Luke was a doctor, and he wrote a historical account of the life of Jesus. It's in the New Testament part of the Bible. And here's where we find him talking about this moment of greatest anguish and of greatest pain for Jesus. And it's in Luke chapter 23. And it starts by saying this, Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. That's Jesus. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. So we start here with a quite matter-of-fact description about what Jesus is going through. But prior to this, Jesus has been through a whole load of torment already. Although he was innocent and acknowledged by those trying him to be innocent, Pontius Pilate, one of the people involved in that, says, I can find no fault in this man. Despite that, he was beaten and whipped and mocked and tortured and then led out carrying his cross to this place called the Skull, this hill outside Jerusalem to be executed. He's already been through a whole load of stuff. And we get what I think is a really matter-of-fact description that just says they crucified him there. And the reason for that is everybody in the ancient world, certainly everybody living around in the Roman Empire, knew what crucifixion was. They knew what it meant. They knew what it involved, hanging from a cross, nailed there in great pain and with suffering. So we don't need, or Luke's readers, first readers, didn't need a whole long description. They knew what was involved. Humiliation, mockery, pain, anguish. And in the middle of that, in the middle of the pain that goes beyond our imagining, Jesus' lips start to move. And, and I imagine, and this is an imagining thing for me, I imagine people leaning in. What's he going to say in the midst of all of this? What's he going to say? Who's he going to curse? Who's he going to have a go at in his pain? Who's he going to blame? And who is he going to beg for release from all of this? That's what I imagine they were leaning in, expecting Jesus to say. And instead, look at what Jesus is thinking about when he's hanging there on the cross as we go on to verse 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. I find this totally remarkable. That in his moment of greatest pain, his heart and his vision and his thoughts were about other people. The complete opposite of what happens to me when I'm in pain. Far from his pain shrinking his world, his pain expanded his world. And at his moment of greatest pain, Jesus' words reveal for us our greatest need. 
Jesus was thinking about those inflicting the pain. He was thinking about those who had taken him and led him down this road, those who had mocked and beaten him, those who had betrayed him, those who had denied him and left him, his greatest friends who'd run away. Jesus was thinking about them. This phrase of forgiveness is so powerful in that moment. But more than that, actually, more than just that moment, I think it reverberates through history. It's a, it's a phrase, a series of words of profound implication. And here are some of the implications of those words. Number one, it was a fulfillment of prophecy 700 years before the life of Jesus. A prophet called Isaiah had said this about someone who was to come. He said this person who was to come would pour out his life to death. He would bear the sins of many and pray for the transgressors. Pray for those inflicting that pain. And here, 700 years later, Jesus is fulfilling that prophecy. And he is staking his claim through fulfilling that prophecy to be the Son of God. The second implication is that in these words, Jesus reveals our greatest need. It's really interesting to me what Jesus didn't pray for. He didn't say, bless them. He didn't say, heal them. He said, Father, forgive them. Because their greatest need was for forgiveness. And we may say, well, of course that's true. Of course that's true. Those people who were there that day, the people who had led him down this road, of course their greatest need was for forgiveness because they were nailing him to a cross. Well, that, of course, is true. But actually, it's our greatest need, too. It's the greatest need of humanity, too. In this moment, Jesus was revealing the greatest need of the human race. You know, when Jesus was sharing a last meal with his friends, what we sometimes around church call the Last Supper, he had a cup with wine in it and he passed it round to his friends and he said, this is a symbol of my blood which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is what Jesus was doing on the cross. He was making a way for every single person there and every single person since and every single one of us to be forgiven. To be forgiven of the things we do that would separate us from a perfect and holy God. Those mess-ups, those mistakes, those hurts we cause, those way we, ways we fall short, those times where we have been selfish and thought only of ourselves. The implications in all of those words is, those words that Jesus said, he's saying, this is what I am doing when I'm on the cross when I'm hanging here, dying here, I'm making a way for forgiveness. Here's the final question I want to ask today. So what? So what? So Jesus was fulfilling ancient prophecy. He was laying claim to be the Son of God. He was revealing human beings' greatest need. And he was making a way for forgiveness. So what? What does this mean for you? What does this mean for me? And it means, number one, that we are forgiven for those things that we need to be forgiven. We can all receive the very greatest gift of all, and that is the forgiveness that comes from Jesus. Our greatest need, the human race's greatest need, met in the greatest human being that's ever lived. Forgiveness from Jesus. 
at his moment of greatest pain, his vision expanded. His heart expanded, if that were possible, and all of us are included. At his moment of greatest pain, Jesus reveals our greatest need, but makes a way for that need to be met. And I want to say, if this is new news to you, or this is something that maybe you want to explore more. How does that work? What was Jesus doing? What else about his life? What came after and all that kind of stuff? I want to say to you, coming up in April, here at our church, we're running a course called Alpha. And it's a great way of exploring these claims of Jesus and the claims of the Christian faith, of working this out. And if this is new to you, whether you're on site or you're online with us today, Alpha is available to you because we're doing it online on Zoom, so anybody can join in from anywhere. Starting on April 18th, we're going to be thinking about Alpha. We're going to be talking about how Jesus does this. So if this is new news to you, I really want to encourage you, take a brave step. Take a, make a brave move. Sign up to be a part of Alpha. Join in. You can come to one session, figure out if you like it, before you have to commit to the rest. And you can find all the details of Alpha on our website, on our Church Suite Church app, if you're a part of that, or simply by calling in to the office. But maybe this isn't new news to you. Maybe you've been around church for a while. Maybe you've been a Jesus follower for a while. Maybe this is the umpteenth time you've heard this. I want you to be reminded of what your and my greatest need is and how Jesus makes a way for that need to be met. And I want that to allow us to expand our vision, our thankfulness, our gratitude, our hearts of love towards the God who would make a way in Jesus for our greatest need to be met. So number one, Jesus reveals our greatest need and we are forgiven. That's the first so what. The second so what is Jesus models for us something really important, which is we need to pray for those who hurt us. We need to seek restoration in our relationships. You know, Jesus was praying for those who had hurt him and were hurting him. You know, we get hurt. We get hurt at school, in friendship groups. We get hurt in college. We get hurt in friendships and relationships. As adults, we get hurt. People let us down or they say miserable things to us. We need to find the way of restoration, to pray for those who would hurt us. That's what the Jesus was doing. That's his example for us. We need to pray for restoration and we need to pray for those who hurt us. This was the example of Jesus. And you know what? This is so true. People who recognize their own need for forgiveness find it easier to forgive others. When we recognize our greatest need and how Jesus meets it, then it's easier to forgive others who would hurt us. Jesus models for us how we should treat others even when we don't feel like it, even when our pain is real and hurts, even when the temptation is for us to shrink into our pain. Jesus models for us that it's an opportunity to expand our vision and to show love and forgiveness to others. And it starts by praying for those who hurt us. You know, Jesus lived in a world that preached revenge. That's what his whole world and culture spoke of. And even some of the ancient scriptures spoke of. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. 
And yet Jesus brings a new way. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That forgiveness changes us. It changes our hearts. Forgiveness sets us free. When we're forgiven, we're set free. And when we forgive others, it sets us free too. It enables us to unload the baggage of sin and the baggage of unforgiveness and to truly live free. I love all these last words of Jesus that we're unpacking over these few weeks, but I love these, perhaps more than any, because Father, forgive them, reveals to us what Jesus was thinking about when when he was on the cross. And Jesus was thinking about our greatest need. And he was making a way for that need to be met. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, certainly I, I hope it blows all of our mind. It just it blows my mind to think of Jesus in these moments of unimaginable pain, thinking about everybody else, even those who are inflicting that pain. It's the most remarkable and extraordinary thing. It shows to us just who Jesus was and who Jesus is and what he was about. Lord, we recognize that our greatest need is to be set free, to be forgiven. And we thank you that Jesus makes a way for that to be possible. Thank you that he prays, Father, forgive them. Thank you that he makes a way for us to be forgiven. And Lord, we want this morning to receive that once again, or maybe even to receive it for the first time. And Lord, I pray you'd give us the boldness and courage to take a next step, to, to make a brave move, maybe to reach out in forgiveness to somebody else who's hurt us, maybe to explore these claims of Jesus more by getting involved with Alpha and signing up for that. Give us the courage to take that step, I pray. Lord God, most of all, we thank you for this amazing and wonderful gift. Amen.